Good morning, church. Welcome. We're going to, and Happy New Year. Would you stand to your feet? We're going to begin our time of worship together, as is our custom, reading God's word out loud to each other. We're going to be reading Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. All right, so let's read this out loud together. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's begin our time of worship together. As we begin our year proclaiming that Jesus Christ is not dead, he is risen. Let's sing this together.
now where Christ has read. Ah, hallelujah. Falling our exalted head. Ah, hallelujah. May like him, like him we rise. Ah, hallelujah. Ours the cross, the
us your glory. Show us, show us your power. Show us, show us your glory, Lord. Show us your glory. Show us, show us your glory. Show us, show us your power. Show us, show us your glory, together and welcome if you're a guest we're gathered together here at Hebrew Baptist Church we to we exist to glorify God by making uh, by helping every person to take their next steps towards Christ and we hope this morning as we worship and as we pray as we sing as we hear that we're taking our next steps and growing in Christ together if you're a guest there is a connect card welcome by the way there's a connect, connect card in the seat in front of you we would encourage you please if you would fill that out to let us know that you were here and uh, so that we might um, follow up with you. And if it's your first time, take that card. If you'll take it to the Next Steps desk, we have a free gift for you there. Um, just to say thank you for joining us this morning. If you're joining us online, uh, thank you for joining us uh, today. We hope that uh, maybe after joining us online, you might join us in person some uh, Sunday morning. Well, yes, as we've said, we've gathered together to worship God uh, and to pray and to sing uh, because that's what God's people do. Um, we're going to begin, or we're not going to begin, but we're going to continue on in our worship as we pray together. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, uh, we want to lift you up. We want to see your name exalted. We want to see all men drawn unto you as you are lifted up. And so be lifted up in this place. Be glorified in our praises. Be glorified in our hearing of your word. Be glorified in our praying and in our facial expressions and our fellowship that we extend to one another and the love that we have. And uh, be uh, present, Lord, in, our, in the order of our worship, Lord, in the orderliness of our worship as First Corinthians uh, commands of us. Lord, we want to lift up to you our core value um, that, that, that we have expressed of urgent evangelism. We pray that you would stamp that urgency on our minds. We pray, Lord, that you would help us as we go from this place uh, later um, at the end of our service to, to consider the fact that there is a sign outside that says that you're now entering the mission field. Lord, help us to constantly think about the lostness of the world around us and to take steps, to take uh, 
to chances and to, uh, and to boldly uh, tell others uh, what hope we have in Christ, that Jesus is not dead, he is alive, that he has been lifted up on the cross, that uh, those who would turn from their sins and trust in Christ would be, would be saved from their sins, would no longer be separated from you. And Lord, it is because of that urgency, Lord, that Chris and Rhonda Richard and the girls have gone out to, uh, uh, to Argentina because there are so many there who have not yet heard. So Lord, we lift up Chris and Rhonda to you. We pray, Lord, in the next uh, few weeks, they're sort of coming off of vacation time. We pray that, that it, I pray that their vacation was uh, comfort and relaxing and exciting and restorative. And we pray that you give them strength in the coming days to, uh, to do what you've called them there to do. One of those things, Lord, is language learning. So we pray that you give them strength and wisdom and knowledge and supernatural power to acquire the language, not, Lord, that they might be impressive in their intelligence, but, Lord, so that they might faithfully proclaim the gospel uh, to a people who do speak Spanish, but not the Spanish that they have been taught. Lord, give them quickness of retention and... Uh, and good memory so that they might communicate the gospel clearly. We pray, Lord, for uh, those who are praying there uh, and, and, and beginning to think about strategizing a church planting movement in Buenos Aires. We pray that, um, that you would bring unity in the gospel preaching churches there to, uh, to see more churches planted, that more disciples might be made and more evangelism might take place that results in more churches planted, more evangelism than more disciples. Lord, because we want to see your glory cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Lord, we now, thinking on this, recognize that we are not doing what we can to see your glory spread. We are not being faithful in our evangelism. And so, Lord, we pray that you forgive us uh, for the ways that we fail you. Forgive us the, for the sins that we commit, Lord, as we break your commands, as we do the things we ought not do. And then, Lord, we pray that you'd forgive us for the things that we do, that we don't do, that we ought, most chiefly among those spreading the gospel in this area. Lord, uh, thank you for the comfort that we have to know that when we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us. And Lord, we pray that that would motivate our singing as we continue in worship. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet and let's continue singing together.
is dark, but night is dark, but I am not the same. For by my side, the Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoice, for in my need, his power is displayed. To this I hold. Shepherd will defend me through the deepest valley. He will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome. Yet not I, but through Christ with me. the good news for every Christian. No fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. No fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus fled and suffered for my pardon. And he was raised to overthrow I hope my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my need. Oh, the chains are released. I can see I am free and not I. I long to follow Jesus. I long to follow Jesus. For he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will Until I stand with joy before. I hope, my hope is only Jesus, all the glory and the more to me. When the praise is complete, my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. To this I hope, my hope is only Shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me.
continue to sing. Let's make this our prayer that we would call each other and call ourselves to God to turn our eyes upon Jesus as we hear from his word. Our glory and our 
said I think two or three times now this morning but happy new year in case you didn't know today is the first day of 2023 well it's good to be with you this morning my name is Curtis I'm the director of student ministry here at Hebron Baptist Church and I just wanted to take this opportunity now that I have all of you in front of me to say thank you um, ever since Bailey and James and I arrived here we have been this thing's wobbly that's better we have been truly blessed uh, to be here. We've received nothing but just a, a really warm welcome, so thank you all. But we have a lot to get through this morning, um, 17 verses. So if you have your Bibles with you, would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 3? And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. I'm going to read the entire text for us, and then we're going to pray. This is God's word, and Paul writes, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them, but now put away all the following, anger, wrath, 
malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you are also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Pray with me. Father, we need you. We need you always. And Lord, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, we would be reminded of what you have done through Christ on our behalf. That we would not go throughout this life forgetting these things as often as we do, but we would keep them near. That we would recall them often because we live in a sinful world that desperately needs you. And Lord, we have been given the great opportunity this year, just like last year and just like the year before, to truly live as if we have a new life in Christ. And Lord, I pray that that would be what we do, not just this year, but every day. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's January 1st, 2023. For some of us, that's no big deal. This day comes around every year, Lord willing, and it goes. But for some of us, today might be day one of a New Year's resolution. And there's a lot of them out there. I've never been the type to make a New Year's resolution, but I commend those who do, and I am really impressed with those who can actually keep them, because as we all know, very rarely do we keep them. According to one study, I found 38.5% of U.S. adults make a New Year's resolution. And from that group, 43% of them expect to fail before February. And 23% fail within the first week. And this is the most staggering. Only 9% successfully keep their resolutions. As Christians, our resolutions should look different than that of the world. They should look a lot different. And I am convinced that there is no greater a goal for a Christian, because that's what a resolution is. It's a goal that we make, right? And there is no greater a goal for a Christian than to wake up every morning and resolve to live for Christ, to set our minds on things above and to put to death what is earthly within us. 
And this is not something we decide to do at the beginning of every year. Christianity is not a hat that we can put on when it's convenient for us. Living for Christ is a daily commitment to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. And we don't live this way for no reason. When people ask, why do you live this way? We can tell them we have a reason. We live this way because it's a reality for the believer that Christ has come, that Christ has died, that Christ has risen. Our hope truly, and we all know this song, our hope truly is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And we need to be reminded of who we are in Christ. Not just to live for him on the first day of 2023, but to live for him on every day of every year. And I pray this morning we consider just how remarkable a new life in Christ truly is. And that we order our lives accordingly, considering the reality of what has been done through Christ. This world is dark. It's very dark. And we are easily led astray. And we need to be reminded often of what God has called us to. So if you're taking notes this morning, I think it was up on the screen earlier, we're going to go through three reminders for the Christian. Three reminders for the Christian. But before we jump into this first reminder, I want to go back to chapter 2 to provide a little more context as to what exactly Paul is talking about, talking about here and what's going on. In verse 8 of chapter 2, if you've read Colossians, we know that Paul is warning these Colossian believers of heresy. He's telling them to be careful of the deception that lies within these philosophies. Chapter 2, verse 8, he says, Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. In verses 20 to 23, Paul asks these believers a valid question, and I think it's a valid question for us today. In 20 to 23, he says, If you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belonged to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. So, if these human traditions fail to curb self-indulgence, if these human traditions and man-made religions are of no value to the believer, then what is of value? And Paul answers that question in chapter 3. What's of value is being raised with and hidden in Christ. What's of value is not worldly practices or human traditions. Seeking after Christ and setting our minds on what's above is not just a suggestion it's a command given from God, and it is the only thing that will help in curbing our self-indulgences. The life of the Christian should be a life lived in complete obedience. Are we going to be perfect? By no means. But we ought to be obedient. And how often do we ask ourselves, am I really obeying God the way I ought to? And do we really have an excuse for not doing so? Our first reminder this morning we can find in verses 1 through 4. And that reminder is this, that our position 
in Christ establishes our priorities. Our position in Christ establishes our priorities. Look with me at verses 1 through 4. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Well, what does Paul say about our position in Christ? Might not be something we think of very often, but he says that we have been raised with Christ. And what are the priorities of that position? Well, a life that's been raised with Christ is a life that seeks the things above. It's one who sets their mind on things above, not on earthly things. We seek what's above, and we set our minds on what's above because of our position in Christ. As Christians, we don't go on living the way we used to. We don't participate in mere behavior modification. We have been raised with Christ. Now, what does that mean to be raised with Christ? Well, as believers, we know that we've been brought out of a spiritual death into a new life in Christ. We were once dead in our sins, but now have been made alive to God through Christ. Back in chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says that we were buried with Christ in baptism and raised with him through faith in God. Those who have been raised with Christ are those who seek the things above where Christ is. Paul tells us to seek things above. The word seek, well, what does it mean? Well, we're attempting to find. We're looking, we're searching. Every time I lose something, especially I think we lose our car keys way more than anything else, it seems to be, we go nuts. We're running around, we're searching, we're looking, we're pleading. I know you saw them. We often turn to our spouse and say, where are they? One thing the youth love to do when we meet is play hide-and-seek. I thought it would have got old by now, but for some reason it is the best thing since sliced bread. I mean, it is awesome. But the funny thing is that nobody wants to be the seeker. Nobody wants to be the seeker. I remember playing hide-and-seek growing up, and nobody wanted to be the seeker. We always did nose-goes to see who would play, who would find us. I wonder this morning as Christians, do we find ourselves consistently seeking after God or hiding from Him? Because our text is clear this morning how we are to live and what we are to do. We're told to seek. Paul also calls us in this passage to a heavenly mindset. To set our minds on things above and not on earthly things. In case we've forgotten, we have an enemy. And our enemy wants so badly for us to set our minds on what's below, what this world has to offer. To be less concerned with the things of God and more concerned about what's going on on this earth. Our minds and our affections belong to Christ, do they not? And Christ is worthy of all that we can give. So we have been raised with Christ. But Paul also makes clear that we have died. And that our lives are hidden with Christ and God. 
Now, he does go into some detail about what this means, but back in Romans chapter 6, verses 8 through 11, he really goes into detail about what this means for the believer. Paul says, Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all time, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 4, we read that when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Not only are we reminded of our position in Christ, being raised, being hidden in him, but we're also reminded that he's coming back. As if we needed more motivation to live a godly life that seeks after Christ and sets our minds on things above, what more of a motivation is recognizing that he isn't never coming back, but he's coming back and he's coming back soon. We can praise God this morning because what is true of us spiritually will one day be true of us physically. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That glorified body that Paul talks about in Philippians is reality for us. It's going to happen. And if we're being honest, we can't wait for that to happen. It should be something we look forward to. I'm convinced that the way that we live in this life is rooted in how we think. And if we think very little of what God has done on our behalf through Christ, I think it'll be very evident in the way in which we live. We won't be very concerned about what we set our minds on or who or what we seek after. Our position in Christ establishes our priorities. It's being raised and hidden in Christ. That's why we set our minds on things above. That's why we seek after God. We have reason to glory in our Redeemer. We have much reason. Our second reminder this morning, if you're still taking notes, is found in verses 5 to 11. And that reminder is really simple, but it's this, in Christ we have put off the old self. In Christ we have put off the old self. Look with me at 5 to 11. Therefore put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator. Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. In Christ, we have put off the old self. 
Paul begins verse 5 by alluding back to what he's previously said. This is something I tell the youth often, but whenever we see the word therefore in Scripture, we go back and look at the text to see what the therefore is therefore. We need context. We need to understand what Paul's talking about. Considering, let me go back, considering what we have just read in these previous verses, we must put to death what is earthly within us. We must put to death what is earthly within us. We have been raised with Christ. We have been hidden in Christ, and Christ is coming back. So what are we going to do about it? Well, we know we need to seek the things above, and we know we need to set our minds on what's above, but here in verses 5 to 11, Paul begins to list specific sins that are in relation to our earthly nature. And what Paul is talking about here in verse 5 is the mortification of the flesh. What does that mean? It means to kill it, to be killing our sin. And we are called to put to death these things, Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. I'm going to read them again. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. These sins were not distinct to the people of that time. These sins are not distinct to the Colossian church. These sins are not distinct to a pagan world. These sins often find themselves within our own body, within our own hearts. And these sins, when we really begin to understand what they are, we recognize that they are at our fingertips every day. We live in a world that is so easily persuasive. We see a commercial, we think a thought. We get on our phones, we see an ad, we're thinking a thought. Or maybe we commit an action. It's difficult. But if we are not grounded in the reality that we have been raised with Christ, hidden with Christ, and that Christ is coming back, if we are not seeking what's above, if we are not setting our minds on what's above, how easily will we fall into these traps? Our enemy wants nothing more than to consume our thoughts and to draw us away into a life of self-gratification. And I know that many of us, having been set free from a life of sin, a life of bondage of sin, we know all too well how enticing the desires of our flesh can be at times. Our enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. And I wonder why we so often lay there like easy prey when we know the promises of God and what he's done in our life. The mortification of our flesh is a daily battle, and we must work at putting these things to death. John Owen, in The Mortification of Sin, writes this. Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at its wildest you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you we also see in this passage that the reality is that the wrath of God is coming upon the disobedient the wrath of God is coming upon the disobedient it reminds us that God one day will judge and he is judge there is not an act in this world 
that he doesn't notice. When we think that we can hide from God, go to the darkest of the darkest places, you will still be found out. And we ought to live as though he's paying attention, because he is. Imagine if we evangelize with that in mind, recognizing that God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. Seeing a lost and broken world around us this year and pleading with them because we know the wrath of God is coming. And I will be the first to admit that I am guilty of standing by and saying nothing because that's what's easy to do. It's easy to stay silent. But evangelism is not a silent demonstration of good morals. Evangelism is a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a dying world. And it's the business that we ought to be involved in. Paul also goes on to talk about our nature. And as Christians, we have a new nature in Christ. We're new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. We used to walk in these things, Paul said. Used to. But now we're called away from them. We're called to put off these old habits. And he says they're anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language. We're called to not lie to one another. He reminds us again, we have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. We are those in the process of being renewed in our knowledge. And through sanctification, we are in the process of being conformed into the image of Christ. I haven't yet made it, but I can say with certainty, I'm not the same person I was when I became a believer in July of 2009. And it is still a work in progress, as many of us are. And through sanctification, we recognize that there is a battle in front of us. And it's a battle we must be ready to fight every day. Putting off the old self is something we have done. And it is something that we do continually. It's a daily decision we make whether or not we are going to put to death what is earthly within us. Or whether we're going to stay the same. A true Christian should not be comfortable in habitual sin. That was our old way of life, the old self. So if you claim to know Christ this morning while living in habitual sin, I urge you, brother and sister, to examine yourself according to the Scriptures. And the letter of 1 John is a great place to start. And Paul, along with John, wants us to recognize this morning that we simply cannot go on making a habit of sinning. We have died to sin. And as Paul asks, how can we go on living in it? It should make us sick, sick to our stomach even. It should leave a bitter taste in our mouth when we use words we shouldn't. We should be filled with regret and grief and shame when we find ourselves indulging in the things we know that are of this world. So if you're here this morning and that's what happens when you sin, that's great. 
because we know that the Spirit is at work in your life. But if you're here this morning and you have been living in habitual sin and think nothing of it, I urge you to look to the Scriptures and see where you stand. You can't go on living in habitual sin. That's not the life of a believer who has put off the old self. In verse 11, Paul talks about Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, and reminds us that Christ is all and in all. Now, it's no secret to us this morning that we live in a world full of division, lots of division. And a lot of that is in regard to race, and a lot of that is in regard to our nationality, our culture, our background, where we're from, what kind of shoes we like, what meals we like to eat, what our favorite restaurant is, what color socks we're wearing. There are so many reasons why we can find division amongst one another. But that should have no place in the Christian life. And that should have no place in the body of Christ. To quote Alistair Begg, he said this, there is no place in the Christian life for snottiness that is related to your face, your place, or your race. What control did you have over any of it? None. Our third and our final reminder this morning comes to us from verses 12 to 17, and that reminder is this, that in Christ, we must put on the new self. In Christ, we must put on the new self. Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you, in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Here we find that word therefore again, referring back to what has previously been said. Therefore, as God's chosen, holy, and dearly loved, we're told to put on the new self. Before Paul lists what it is exactly we're to put on, he reminds us of who we are. We are chosen, set apart by God. In love, before the foundations of this world, God chose you. Do we realize that? Ephesians 1. In love, before the foundations of the world, God chose us. He says we're holy. Our status in Christ is no longer that of condemnation. If you are a believer here this morning, we are clothed in his righteousness. His righteousness has been imputed to us. And we are called to righteous living. 1 Peter 1.16 tells us to be holy, for he is holy. 
And he also tells us that we're dearly loved by God. Let's just work through these things. So we have been raised with Christ. We have been hidden in Christ. We know that Christ is coming back and we will appear with him. We've been chosen, we're holy, and we're dearly loved by God. I mentioned earlier how we need motivation to do these things. Friends, we have everything we need for life and godliness. Everything we need for life and godliness. So as those who are chosen, holy, and dearly loved, what are we to do? Well, we're told to put on compassion, to put on kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We're told to bear with one another, to forgive one another, just as the Lord has forgiven us. And above all, we must put on love, which is the bond of unity. It's interesting that each one of these qualities is expressed in relationships. Let me read them again. Compassion. Kindness. Humility. Gentleness. Patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Each one is expressed in relationships. And these lists of qualities that we find, we see them all throughout Paul's letters. And they're always talking about relationships. They're always seen within relationships. We cannot live a life that's me, God, and that's okay. We live lives that are us, God, and everyone else. Because that's what we've been called to. To compassion, to kindness, to humility, to gentleness, and to patience. We're called to bear with one another. We're called to forgive one another. We're called to love one another. These play out in relationships. And we, of course, see them played out within our own, but we definitely see them played out as members of the body of Christ within our local church. We won't be very welcoming if we're not kind. We can't be taught if we're too proud. We can't admonish one another if we are not gentle. And we can't do any of this if we don't love. He talks about peace. And as Christians, we have peace with God. Think about that statement that I just made. As Christians, we have peace with God. That's extraordinary. And I think it warrants an amen. As Christians, we have peace with God. That should blow our minds. The God of the universe who created us, we have peace with him. We're made right. I think that's incredible. And we, as the body, have to ask ourselves, if we have peace with God, why can't we always have it with one another? If these qualities are expressed in relationships, peace is also a part of that. To be peaceable. To let peace rule within our hearts. Imagine a body of Christians who lets peace rule within their hearts. 
a body of Christians who recognize we need to be compassionate, we need to be kind, we need to be humble, we need to be gentle, and we need to be patient with one another. And why do we do these things? Well, we're sinners. <laughs> and because we're going to need all of them, and we're going to need all of them often. And we see each one of these qualities, and we could go through and we could provide specific examples of how Jesus was compassionate, of how Jesus is kind, humble, gentle, and patient, how he bears with us. And above all, he has forgiven us. The Son of God, perfect, holy, has forgiven you. When we get into a situation where we are hesitant to forgive a brother or sister, all we need to do is remember what Christ has done on our behalf. And I think we'll have a different attitude about forgiveness. This should be so evident in the community of believers. He also says we're to be thankful. A month ago, we celebrated Thanksgiving. And every year we find ourselves making lists of how we're thankful, saying how we're thankful, telling people to their face, I'm thankful for you. Well, a Christian life should be one lived where each morning we resolve to live for Christ and tell him that we are thankful. It should mark the life of a Christian, thankfulness. Because do we have reason for thanksgiving? We do. Without question, we do. Every second of every day, every breath that we breathe, we have reason to thank God. And again, we see the necessity of a grateful heart is emphasized here. As we allow God's word to dwell richly among us, to make its home here, in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and this is just my opinion, but I think a Bible-believing church ought to be the epicenter for this kind of activity. We should know the Word. We should study the Word. We should teach the Word. Correct one another with the Word. Sing the Word, and we do all of this with grateful hearts. One of the worst things to see is on a Sunday morning, faces like this. No smiles, no joy. We don't live that way. We've been called to put off the old self. We have every reason to rejoice in Christ. We have every reason to be thankful to God, to have grateful hearts. And the church ought to be the epicenter for that kind of of activity. Our final verse this morning, verse 17, it's an exhortation that basically covers every aspect of our life. Whatever we do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything we do. You know, I'm, I'm thankful that in Scripture, yes, we have very specific commands and do this and don't do that, but here Paul makes it very plain. 
You don't have to always wonder, do I do this? Do I? He says, in everything you do, everything, do so in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When we recognize that we have been raised with Christ, that we have been hidden in Christ, that Christ will appear and we will appear with him in glory, that we are chosen holy and dearly loved, I think that requires a life lived differently than that of the world. It doesn't just require it, it commands it. Because as Christians, we don't live the same way, we don't talk the same way, we don't do the same things. We're different. And my goal this morning is for us to simply see how our new life in Christ, it doesn't get old. It's fresh every morning as His mercies are. And we are given everything we need every day to live a godly life. Now, I recognize this morning that we're not perfect. I recognize this morning that we will often fail. But my hope for myself and for my family and for this church is that we don't find ourselves in the 9%, or sorry, the 43% that fail within the month, or the 23% that fail within the first week, but we find ourselves in that smaller percentage group the one who keeps their word, the one who stays disciplined and strives towards their goal. People make New Year's resolutions and they fail for a lot of reasons. But as Christians, if our goal this year and every day is to resolve to live for Christ, do we have an excuse for failing? I understand we have a sinful flesh. I understand our enemy seeks to destroy us. I understand that life is hard. But Christ is better. Christ is good and Christ has made himself known to us and we live in response to what he's done every time we experience temptation we respond not as the world would but we respond as Christ would we run from it we don't do it we trust in God's word we rely on others and this year, we're going to experience temptation. This year, we're going to experience hardship. We're going to experience maybe even persecution of various kinds. We need to be reminded of who we are in Christ. And we need to be reminded often. We recognize that our position in Christ establishes our priorities. We do what we do because of where Christ has placed us and what he's done for us. We recognize that as Christians, we put off the old self, and as Christians, we must put on the new self. Now, it's not lost on me this morning that there might be some of you here who have no clue what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about is a Savior, and his name is Jesus. And what he has done on our behalf is he has come to earth, taken on flesh, lived a perfect life, and died a death that we deserved. He became our substitute. 
And today, as Acts 16.31 says, if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And I want everyone here to say, along with me this morning, and along with every Christian across this world, that we have been raised with Christ, that we are hidden with Christ, that we will appear with him in glory, that we are chosen holy and dearly loved. I want everyone to say here with full confidence that they are born again. And if you have not done that, I invite you this morning to get that settled. I want to end this morning with a quote from C.H. Spurgeon. Usually Pastor Sean does that, and he's not here, so I'll do it. But C.H. Spurgeon, he writes this. If Christ is not all to you, he is nothing to you. He will never go into partnership as a part savior of men. If he be something, he must be everything. And if he be not everything, he is nothing to you. Pray with me. Father, we so desperately need you. We need you every hour of every day. We need you when we wake up. We need you when we go to bed. And Lord, we need you for this year. And I pray that this year, more than any other year, we recognize our need. And our need is that of a Savior who has come, who has lived perfectly, who has died on our behalf, who has risen, and now reigns with you on high. Father, I pray that we would be so mindful of these realities that we have in Christ, the truth from your word that we have been raised, that we have been hidden in you, that we will one day appear with you in glory, would not be lost on us. And Lord, when we are so quick to forget what you have done, may you remind us of who we are in Christ. Remind us that we have been saved, that we have been set apart, that we have been called, and Lord, that you are with us, and you help us, and you enable us for every good work. Lord, bless our time together. Bless the singing, and I pray, Lord, that we respond in gratitude with thankful hearts, and that we walk out of this place living as if we truly have been raised with Christ, and as if we, as if we truly have a new life. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And all of these ways in which we can be obedient to God's word, we can experience almost all of them together as we've gathered. So uh, would you stand to your feet and let's remind one another why we're here, why we continue to meet, and that is to worship the Lord our God.
Um, if not, you know, just help. your neighbor will help. So let's pray together. Lord, uh, we pray that through the uh, gathering of our tithes and offerings this morning, Lord, we pray that we would give with cheerful hearts. We pray that we would give knowing that our, the money that we give goes to, um, to see the kingdom furthered in the world, Lord, through the cooperative program. Uh, our dollars go every week towards missions, towards evangelism, towards uh, discipleship and the training of pastors and lead church leaders and um, through uh, government agencies that, that, that stand on our behalf before the, uh, before the, the powers that be to, to speak for us. Lord, we pray that you would take these and you would uh, bless them. And uh, Lord, bless our worship as we uh, sing and bless our, uh, uh, give us your spirit to, to be faithful to share the gospel as we leave. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. you rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray, unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. are your church we need your power stand your feet let's sing it together seek your kingdom first we hunger and we thirst we refuse to waste our lives for your joy and pride to see the captive's hearts release the hurt the sick the Let the darkness fear. Show 
Christ.